Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I am so happy to be back with you all. I can actually talk this week, and uh, it's a good feeling. So thanks for joining me on the show. Today's guest is Tara Grant, and she is the author of a book called The Hidden Plague that I was lucky enough to get a copy of. And she is under the Primal Blueprint Publishing Company that Mark Sisson has developed. And she has a crazy condition called hydronitis suppurativa, which is a very poorly understood skin condition. It's believed to affect nearly 12 million people in the United States. So only a small fraction of those people have been properly diagnosed. And many people end up suffering from this because the doctors have no idea how to treat this thing. So they're using antibiotics, they're doing surgeries, they're doing skin grafts to remove the skin condition. Uh, basically what it is, it's boils, cysts, ingrown hairs, acne-like bumps. Some of them take a very long time to uh, heal themselves. And some of them cause pain, and some of them leak out things. So uh, we're going to get into what this stuff actually is in this book here. And uh, we're going to talk about some other subjects, too. There's actually a, a lot of other stuff that Tara likes to focus on, including uh, you know, just giving people information about leptin and giving people information about hormones. And what she's done is she's actually combined... Everything out in the paleo community and the primal community and kind of merged it all into one book. So, you know, she used, uh, you know, our previous guest, Sarah, the paleo mom. She used some of her stuff. She used a couple other people's stuff and combined that into her own book and then added her own research and personal experience to try to make sense of all this uh, health and fitness picture. So I will let you get into the show. I'm really happy to be back with you all. Uh, I'll tell you, it was a rough week or two, but man, uh, I'm happier than ever to be back. Things just seem to be getting better in my life. And, uh, you know, while you may think it's the end of the world sometimes, it might not be. And you just got to keep pushing forward. And if you get discouraged, just keep going. Just keep, 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 keep going. Because uh, there's nothing like being surprised when you think something was going to go wrong and something actually goes fine. So I just want you to remember that as we go into the holiday season. I know a lot of people get stressed out these times and uh, they just start getting overwhelmed with everything. And that's weird because isn't this supposed to be the time where we all slow down, relax, and enjoy each other's time? But in reality, if you pay attention to the uh, mainstream advertisements and marketing, we should all be waking up at... 3 a.m. and going to buy the latest and greatest tech gadget uh, for your kid or yourself. And uh, I swore I would never do that again. About three years ago, I went to a Black Friday thing just to check it out. And I was trying to get a, a small TV to hook up to my laptop to do some work on a bigger screen. And uh, this old man wanted to fight me for it, so I just said, uh, you know, that's it. You take the TV, and uh, I'm out of here, and I never did Black Friday again. So uh, anyways, if you would, though, I, one thing I do like about Black Friday is that on it, my sponsor for this show, they are going to be doing a sale this weekend, uh, throughout the weekend, and it is for supplements, fitness equipment, coconut oil, bulletproof coffee, all of the different things and products that I use myself and I recommend for people. Uh, if you go to my website, notjustpaleo.com, on the right sidebar there, you're going to see some of the ads for that, whether it's the 
TPC, they call it the Total Primate Care Package. And that's a combination of spirulina, chlorella, krill oil, vitamin C, a couple other uh, supplements that are all combined together to give you basically a little pack. Kind of, if you're familiar with bodybuilding companies, the animal packs, uh, those are, it's kind of the similar thing, but it's much higher quality, no fillers or anything like that in some of the products. And also, the kettlebells are really, really, really badass because they have the primal bells now where you can get the chimp, which is literally a monkey face that looks really cool in person. It's a 36-pound kettlebell, which is what I recommend for most people to use just starting out. Uh, if you're going to be doing you know, some, some pretty uh, basic stuff, now, if you're going to be doing even more complex stuff and you're just trying to get the hang of it, you know, kettlebells can be pretty intimidating at first. I would even recommend starting with a 15 or a 25-pounder just until you get the form right. I don't want you to hurt your back or anything like that. But, long story short, head over to notchespaleo.com and on the right side there on my website or if you're on your uh, your mobile phone or your smartphone, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see the little squares for that and you could check out some of the vitamins and supplements. Uh, you could, Like I said, you could get the coconut oil. It's a pretty good price. Uh, it's cheaper than some of the, the health stores out there for coconut oil and also the kettlebells and other workout equipments there. So that's it. And I will get into this show now with Tara Grant. She is one of the coolest people that I've talked to. Uh, you know, I know you pick up on the vibe that guests give, and uh, we had a great time talking together. So thank you for tuning into the show. And uh, if you feel like going to iTunes and writing a review for the show, I'd appreciate it. Thank you all for the uh, the the couple people from the UK that left me a review this week. I really appreciate it. And it helps the show grow, and it helps me stay motivated to do this thing. So I appreciate all of you, and I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. If not, eat some good food anyway. I forgot to mention my audio setup wasn't working right during this interview, so if you hear me refer to the first session that me and Tara did, don't worry about it. You're not missing out on anything. We got into a lot of good stuff on this episode, but for some reason, my professional mic was not set up properly, so I apologize for the random noises and, and me pacing around with my laptop in my hand during the interview. It, uh, it shouldn't bug you too bad, but next week I will have everything figured out and set up correctly with the pro mic you're listening to right now. So thanks again for tuning in, and I appreciate it. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Evan back with Tara Grant, the author of The Hidden Plague, and this is my second attempt to knock this bad boy out because our first podcast had a little technical difficulty, so... We'll splice that together and uh, see what kind of good content we have. But Tara, thanks for coming back onto the show. Hey, no problem at all, Evan. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we should go ahead and just tell people uh, why you wrote the book called The Hidden Plague. It's about a, a skin condition that seems to be getting more popular, and a lot of people are still kind of hiding under the covers about this whole thing. Um. Yeah, well... <laughs> People, if you ask doctors uh, or people in general, they've either never heard of the condition, which is hydrodenitis suppurativa, or HS for short. Um, a lot of dermatologists even think that it's a very rare fringe uh, condition because most people with it don't come forward. Uh, they estimate there's about 12 million people in the United States alone uh, with HS, and it's 
almost seems like since I put my original blog posts up about it that I've heard from almost all of them. Uh, people are starting to come forward now that we've opened up a dialogue about it. They know that they don't no longer need to be embarrassed. Um, so the is out there for people with HS. Uh, their doctors are unable to help. The internet in general is unable to help. Uh, there's too, too much misinformation, old wives tales out there, a lot of wacky weird things that people are trying. Nothing seems to help. Well, I had this condition. I suffered from it for over 20 years. I managed to put myself into remission. I've been in remission now for almost five years, uh, ever since I went primal. And uh, I wanted to help people, so I sat down and and banged it all out, all the information that you need to survive and overcome this skin condition. Yeah, so some of the things that people do to try to treat this skin condition, just for somebody that don't that hasn't heard of this, is you know antibiotics is what the doctor will recommend, or they'll start doing some topicals or even surgery in some cases. And in your book, you had some of the surgeries that were talked about with some of the people it was kind of crazy all the skin grafts and different stuff that these people are trying to do just to kind of end this miserable condition yeah absolutely um, the doctors try they treat it like cancer they try and cut it out um, and unfortunately HS is response so when you cut out disease tissues or organs that are under attack by autoimmunity it opens up the entire rest of your body all your other tissues and organs are now open to attack so what happens is people are undergoing really invasive surgery where they um, they'll either scar an entire area or they'll remove it right down to the muscle um, and we're talking about areas like your armpit your groin your buttocks Places where skin touches skin is where uh, this condition pops up most often. So if you can imagine having all the skin and the fat and everything removed right down to the muscle in, say, your armpit, and then healing from that, uh, it can take up to two years to heal. And while that's happening, um, people start having flare-ups in other areas, if not even in the surgical area itself with with boils popping up in between the stitches. Uh, so for those of you that have never heard of HS or um, don't know anyone with it or aren't afflicted uh, yourself, it, it manifests as really painful boils and deep-seated lumps and bumps um, in areas where there's skin-to-skin -skin contact. But if you're really inflamed or you've got your, you have a severe case, it can um, attack any hair follicle on your body. So on your face, on your scalp, on the back of your neck, um, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, so was your diet pretty bad before you actually figured out how to fix your, I mean, did you, did you switch your diet to try to fix your skin condition or like which one came first? I switched my diet because I didn't know what else to do. Um, I couldn't lose weight. I had PCOS, endometriosis, my hair was falling out, um, really bad acne, plus this skin condition, which I never even told anybody about. Um, I was depressed all the time, all my joints ached. I had every type of itis that you can get, I had it. Um, and so the diet change was really a last ditch attempt at trying to fix myself and lo and behold it helped as soon as I went primal I started feeling better almost right away I'm sure most of it was in my head at the beginning but then the longer I stayed on a primal diet the more weight I lost and one by one all these symptoms that I had 
the HS got drastically better. It had been pretty bad. I was in a severe stage two, and um, when I went primal, it went down to almost nothing. I thought it was gone, and I would have four to five month remission periods, and then I'd have a flare up for no apparent reason. And I knew that there was a reason for those flare ups. And so I sat down, I said, I gotta get scientific about this, get to the bottom of what is causing this. And uh, I was able to do that. I was able to fix it in myself um, so that I've been in remission for quite some time now. But I know that if I go back and start eating a crappy diet again, I start including nightshades and grains and gluten and all of that stuff, I will get sick again. I'm only in remission. I haven't been cured. So there is a chance that this will come back if I fall into my old, my old uh, ways of eating and living. Yeah, that's the same way it is for me. I mean, my, my diet was pretty good before, but I still had uh, pasta in there. And occasionally now, today, I'll have some white rice you know, maybe a, a fourth or a half cup occasionally, and that doesn't bother me too much. But my stomach was messed up for a while to where, I mean, I was so miserable after eating something that I shouldn't. Even if, I mean, we're talking not even something the average person would think is healthy, but for me and my system, it just really screwed me over. Did you have the, the same kind of things? Were you super sensitive to, to gluten? Or, I mean, did you test it and then get miserable right after? The first thing I did actually long before I found the paleo diet was go gluten free. Um, I had noticed that when I started taking like fiber supplement cookies and you know trying to uh, bump up my fiber and I noticed that my digestive issues got really really bad and so I made the connection with myself back then this was 2007 I want to say that um, gluten at the time that was the only thing I knew about was gluten I thought oh that must be it so I went gluten-free strictly gluten-free for five months and I didn't see a difference at all not a single difference I didn't lose a pound I didn't feel any better um, I didn't feel any worse which was a good thing that at the time I didn't know about legumes or anti-nutrients or the fact that I have a nightshade intolerance or a yeast intolerance. I didn't know any of that. Uh, but I did did start out doing the gluten-free thing at the beginning. That's actually a really good point and I'm not sure if it got in the first part of the recording but I was telling you about my article that I wrote that was called Stop the Gluten-Free Madness where I was talking about uh, the whole gluten summit thing that just happened with Dr. Tom O'Brien. He was talking about how much sugar and how bad the gluten-free snacks and stuff are for you actually worse than the actual Snickers or whatever you're trying to replicate itself and I think that's kind of a problem where we're starting to get derailed and you know I guess it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise for you and I to have our you know extra sensitivities I guess you could call it to this stuff because we have to avoid uh, some of the the treats and the the stuff that's kind of portrayed as paleo food. Where do you think uh, where do you think this whole thing's headed the way it's seemed lately? Well, right now I think gluten-free is becoming the new low fat. It's trendy. Um, celebrities are doing it. A lot of people are seeing great health benefits, which is fantastic. But there are a lot of people that are going gluten-free just because it's it's trendy. And unfortunately what that means for people that have celiac disease or people that have um, 
you know, actual wheat allergies or, or very severe gluten intolerances is when they go to a restaurant, they're not necessarily being taken as seriously as they were maybe uh, two years ago or a year ago. Um, I've had waitresses roll their eyes at me when I say I'm avoiding gluten. I've had somebody say, oh, you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. you know, so what I do when I go to a restaurant, I actually say I have a wheat allergy. And uh, I've, I've also been known to go back into the, into the kitchen and talk to the chef and ask them what they're frying my food in. And, you know, could you fry it in bacon fat instead of hydrogenated soy oil? And uh, most of them are willing to work with me. Um, I think, though, the fact that everyone's going gluten-free, um, I mean, it's a good thing at least we're becoming conscious of what we eat and how it affects our bodies. I think um, as a whole, though, um, you know, with gluten-free going mainstream, I'm not sure that uh, it's really in our best interest, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to ask you your success rate and what type of restaurants you're going to to try to work with uh, the chefs and stuff like that. Um, well, once I've found a restaurant that I'm that I have luck with, I tend to go back there quite often. So um, Chipotle, for instance, I can see their food. I know exactly what's in it because I've researched it. I know what to avoid. Um, and I don't have any allergies that are so deadly that, you know, if a bean gets mixed in with my my burrito bowl or something, that it's, it's all over. You know, I can pick it out, or if I eat it, I'll be probably okay. Um, I, I tend to go to a lot of Asian restaurants. Um, Thai food is, is good, Vietnamese food is good, you can often ask for things uh, like I had uh, pho the other day, which is bone broth with rice noodles in it and meat that has been cooked in the broth, so there's nothing, nothing else on it. And uh, that was really nice, I'll have rice noodles occasionally, I find when I eat out sometimes I have to make that concession, it's either rice or nothing a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a place here. I guess we're giving out some free promotion. Uh, there's a place here called Holy Cow, and they have grass-fed burgers. And uh, I just recovered from this this mouth surgery I had to have, and I wasn't able to eat anything really that was solid or anything hard. And uh, they have like a a no bean chili of just the beef with uh, some onions and garlic, and that was a savior for me. It was, uh, but it's so good to be able to find that and have that close to me because it does get kind of old. Not really old, but sometimes you just want to be a lazy man and not cook. And I feel like that's where people might give up when they're trying to stay strict paleo or strict gluten free or whatever. Even if you do have a condition, I feel like mentally, you know, your willpower is is you know it's a limited resource and then when you have a hard day at work and you still have to come home and cook i think that's where people might slip up do you have any advice for people trying to just stay on the hard road i mean i'm sure it was tough for you too oh man oh, i i totally agree you know after there are some nights when my husband will come home from work and i've been working all day and i'm exhausted and i just look at him and say go get vietnamese food where i'm not cooking tonight you can't you can't be everything for everyone. Sometimes you have to take a break. Um, cooking ahead and eating leftovers for, for meals is really, really helpful. So you don't necessarily have to go out to a restaurant. You can make up, like next time you cook, make four portions of something and freeze three of them. 
All you have to do in the morning is pull that bag out of the freezer. It'll be defrosted and ready to go when you come home after work. And if it's pre-cooked, that's even better. So there, there's little things like that that you can do, but knowing where you can go um, when you just want to go to a restaurant, somewhere that you can trust, is uh, it's, it's critical. You've got to have something like that to where you can just relax and kick up your, you know, put up your feet and let somebody else do the work for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my grandma, she gave me her old school crock pot and uh, I found great results. I've actually found out that the market for old crock pots is better than the market for new crock pots because the, I guess the regulations for the temperatures were much lower back then and so especially I'm going to try to start doing some canning and stuff here with fruit preserves and stuff like that soon but uh the low heat that you get from your your 1980s or so, I don't even know when it's from but you know the old school crock pot it comes in handy I've actually made a crock pot stew probably twice a week now and it's saved me so much willpower you come home and you don't have to think you just run over to it and it's been much easier than coming home and then trying to have the debate you know with your boyfriend your girlfriend husband wife you know how can you please everybody uh, especially with everything else that could be on your mind so I recommend that too yeah oh definitely I used to crock pot all the time and I actually have a tip I have a newer crock pot and it was just pissing me off you know I'd put a huge roast in it and put it on low and it would be done in three and a half hours yeah like this that's not right that's not slow cooked I mean it's like a 15 pound roast in three hours it was faster than my oven so I got tired and the meat would be all dried out nasty so I stopped using it for a while and then I had this huge roast I didn't know what to do with it so I bunged it in the crock pot and instead of putting it on low I accidentally put it on warm and I just left it there all night and in the morning came out and it was a beautifully cooked tender falling apart roast Ooh. on warm nice so that's what i do now um especially when i make my bone broth i'll put all the bones in there i've got ones that i save in the freezer everything throw in some chicken feet and some garlic cloves put it on warm and leave it for three or four days and it's like almost chocolate brown. It's so dark and rich and delicious. So wow, Tara, can you lead us through that? How does the uh, the acquisition in in your case of uh, you know bones and chicken feet and all that? Are you just buying them you know organically you know pasture raised? I know you can buy that stuff here at uh, there's a place called Central Market, but uh, are you having to go direct to a farmer? Or can you find those? At other places too. I have really good friends here in Phoenix that are farmers. Oh, okay. um, they have chickens and turkeys. Um, what I'll normally do though, if, if I don't have access to something like that, then I will uh, pony up, spend a little extra on organic chickens and just kind of call it good. I don't make broth out of conventionally raised chickens, but yeah. I will eat them occasionally because you know you got to be realistic. I don't always have access to that stuff and I can't always afford it. I just make the best decisions that I can at the time um, and only make broth from pastured animals. Yeah, so can you guide somebody through what's the, what's the number one, number two, number three, number four process for the chicken bones? Is there any, is there any science or extra little hacks that you do to make yours taste better? Um, well, I add vinegar, apple cider vinegar to the broth, um, a couple of tablespoons because I've got a huge crock pot, um, and that helps to draw the minerals out of the bones. 
So that's an important step that a lot of people miss, and it's also missed in um, you know the boxed chicken stock or whatever that you buy at the store. They they don't do that. Yeah. So do you actually do you actually start with a base of anything, or do you just straight up throw your your chicken bones and feet in, and it makes its own liquid, or do you have to add liquid um, to start? Well, I add liquid. I add water for broth. You want to do that. Most of the time, what I do is I just take the entire chicken um, and throw it in the crock pot. Put an onion in there, a couple ribs of celery, some carrots, some garlic, a couple bay leaves, and then uh, fill up the crock pot with water so that it's covering the chicken. And then I let that cook for a few hours. Once the chicken is cooked, I take it out, let it cool a little bit, um, and put all the bones back in. And that's when I'll throw any extra bones that I have in the freezer. I'll throw that in as well. Add some more water. Um, maybe add a little bit of salt or something um, at that time and that's also when I'll put the vinegar in and then I just close up the crock pot and let it cook for three or four days really it's it's not that you have to give it that much time to simmer it's that I usually get pretty busy and it's a it's a process to bottle all the broth and and to strain it and filter it and everything like that so usually when i get to it it's about three or four days later yeah i was going to ask you about that too do you do you have to do you scrape off anything off the top before you pull it out of the crock pot or do you just transfer everything in and then do the work outside of the crock pot um i do the work right in the crock pot some people will put it in the fridge to let the fat harden and then they'll remove the fat but i want the fat yeah i never remove it from my broth i think it makes it so much more awesome and it makes thicker <laughs> gravy and, yeah. and all that stuff. So um, what I do do though is I have these really thin tea towels, we call them in Canada. I think, I don't know what you guys call them. It's just basically just a little bit thicker than cheesecloth. But it's just a cotton tea towel, really, really thin. And I take a funnel, I put the towel over it, and then I pour the broth through in into mason jars and it catches all the tiny little bits of bone and there's like foam and little bits of nasty in there that I don't want to drink and what comes through the cloth is this crystal clear beautiful broth um, and then I I seal that up and store it in the freezer until I'm ready to use it that's awesome so you use mason jars is that just preference um, I do I used to have plastic everything in my kitchen was plastic and about a year after I went paleo, I just said, this isn't right, and I threw it all out and replaced it all with glass. Yeah, that's a good choice. I love. I actually love the, the amount of glass products that are popping up now. I guess we're actually creating a, a demand for this stuff. I find all kind of cool little glass containers now for everything from salt to your little side items and stuff like that. So it's neat to see how things have transformed since more voices like you and I are out there telling people how to make these you know, seemingly small changes, but in reality, they're big overall. When you have, you know, five small changes, that could be equivalent of one really big change in the way you feel and think. So I'm all about trying to optimize every little aspect that you can, whether it's, you know, changing your cookware or, you know, just using the crock pot so you don't go out and binge on chocolate and and fast food or something like that. I don't know if the crock pot's going to stop me from binging on chocolate, but that's a nice thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I still I still like chocolate. I just I uh, I try to stick to the you know the pretty high cacao content. What what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite chocolate? 
So I used to be a milk junkie chocolate or a milk chocolate junkie and that's all I wanted. And then when I went primal, I forced myself. I went to 85%. I said this is it. This is the only chocolate I'm eating. I ate it until I liked it. And then I was like, okay, what do I have for a treat? Because I do allow myself treats from time to time and it was always milk chocolate that I wanted. The dark chocolate just doesn't do it for me, which I mean, it's great. I'm satisfied with one or two pieces, and I think that's the whole point of it. But the milk chocolate is my—that's my my downfall, I guess. So um, I'll allow myself to have a small amount. I'm very careful when I go to the store. Um, I used to be a little reckless. I'd go to Trader Joe's. Um, do you have access to Trader Joe's? Yes, with I their do. Pound, their pound plus chocolate bars. Yeah. Yeah, if one of those is in my house, I'm going to eat it. So I don't buy them anymore. If I don't bring it home and it's not here, I can't sit and binge on it in a moment of weakness. So I'll get the smallest chocolate bar that I can find, the best quality. I'll make sure it's organic, and I'll bring it home and I will make a treat out of it. And I enjoy every freaking bite of it. Yeah, for sure. Does yeah. that, does that save your sanity? Yes, it does. Having something from time to time, and now that I've, I've been able to fix my metabolism, I can handle a little bit of sugar from time to time. I just can't make it, you know, my, my diet revolved primarily around sugar, which is what it used to be before I went paleo. So as long as I'm careful and, and keep it in small doses, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, see, I think that's a good point to make because... You know, I've been trying to help a couple people lately that have been, they've gone off the deep end when it comes to being so specific on stuff that I think they end up causing more damage to themselves just by the excessive worrying and excessive, you know, kind of debating over things rather than just kind of letting things flow and letting your habits guide you. And uh, I think it, it makes life harder that way. You know, there's so many things to tackle and this whole primal paleo lifestyle, you know, I'm sure at first for you it probably took a lot of effort and a lot of work. And I think it'd be safe to say now that you've probably settled into it and the amount of effort is a lot less than it used to be. I actually completely disagree with you. Really? How so? It was so easy at the beginning. I was so fired up. I was raring to go. You told me something wasn't paleo. I wasn't touching it. It didn't matter. And that was for about the first two years. I was I was good like that. And then I'd lost all the weight I wanted to lose. All my problems were gone. And that desperation that I used to have wasn't as you know first and foremost in my mind. Oh. And I started to forget how bad I used to feel. I used to I. I started to forget the pain I would have. I'd be able to have a treat and have no, no effect. So I got cocky and I started having treats all the time. And I actually even started eating bread again and, and stuff with wheat in it. And it only took about three weeks before I started to get really sick. And yeah, yeah what happened that, to you? Um, well, first it started with the digestion. And then I started breaking out, and then I started flaring up, and then my joints ached. And it, it happened all very quickly, and it was enough of a slap in the face for me to go, oh, my God, okay, 
now I remember why I'm eating this way. But it, it was hard, and, and you know, I'd go out to dinner with friends, and they'd all be eating whatever they wanted, and I would either, you know, say, well, I'm going to fast tonight, and then the fallout that comes from that, or, um, you know, have another burger without a bun or a salad with nothing on it <laughs> you know it it got it got quite difficult um, but like I was saying at the beginning I was so fired up yeah was, that's a really that's a really freaking good point I didn't think about that see you and I came from different you know different perspectives we came on opposite ends of the, uh, the spectrum you know I was just looking to build muscle and, and gain weight and my digestion was still screwed up so I had to dial things in and then you came from kind of the, the health problems and weight loss side of it. And so I've never actually had the chance to, to feel that or consider that. But now it makes perfect sense how the longer the road, you start to feel comfortable, I guess. You feel yes. comfortable with your lifestyle and you think, oh, it's, it's just, you know, this one little cookie. <laughs> Right, right. And then one cookie today, two cookies tomorrow. Now I'm going to make three batches of them and eat them all on the couch while I'm watching reruns of Twilight movies or something. You know, it happens fast. Sugar and carbohydrates are really addictive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure. I'm, I, I, I feel been. like you did write about that in the book. Did you talk about uh, the exorphins that are in, you know, in some of the, the grains and pastas and stuff like that? I can't remember. Well, wheat um, definitely has a protein in it named, uh, called uh, gliadin or gliadin, whoever, depending on who you talk to. And um, that does work um, in your brain chemistry to make you crave it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll do a, a gluten-free cookie or, or some kind of, uh, you know, like a, a gluten-free protein cookie or something like that that's – that some of them uh, – are pretty safe, but if you can't find a gluten-free cookie and you just go for a regular protein cookie or something like that, I'll end up craving it for the next week. And you know, the, I'll take some glutamine or something after, or just kind of ignore it. But it's almost insane to me how, on a biological level, I'm actually craving something. It's not me; like I don't really want it, but I'm just sitting there and I have this feeling. To me, it almost feels like it manifests in my biceps, like my arms. I feel like that's where I can kind of feel, I don't know if it's sugar or wheat cravings that it is, but I feel like it starts in my arms, and it's like a virus or something. It's kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. I, for me, it's not my arms, but it, it um, acts on my mental state. Uh, it starts to affect my sleep almost immediately. I'll wake up the next day with like a sugar hangover and then I'll just feel like ass the entire day. Yeah. I'll want sugar and I'll have to fight it. But I, I will, you know, usually give in and have something and that just starts the whole cycle again. So I've had to be really strict about what I allow to come into my house. For a while, I didn't even have anything like honey. All I had was stevia. Now I've got some raw, unfiltered honey, and I'll, I have a teaspoon of it every day. I say it's for my allergies, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a delicious way to protect yourself, I must say. I love, I love my raw honey, too. Well, the thing is, is I can't, my, my allergies are kind of gone now anyway, so yeah. <laughs> long before I ever got the honey. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's perfectly okay. Well, yeah, uh, Tara, let's talk about, uh, before we talk about your upcoming project or projects, let's uh, tell people about your book, 
uh, one more time, like where they can find it and stuff, because it's not out yet. I'm I'm one of the sneak previewers here, and I highly recommend it for people who don't even have the skin condition. Just because you go in depth into insulin, and you kind of give the the spark notes of each person that has done great things in the paleo community, and you've kind of combined it into like one of the you know the culmination of everything is just really awesome it's it brought everything together and i'm just like oh that's badass you know that person from over here who presented this information and then you brought that from over there and then you put in your own research and personal experience so i think it's the the perfect blend of everything well great thank you so much um yeah the book is geared towards hs because like i said there are no resources for people that have it out there and because it's my a disease that i personally overcame i really felt that it, there needed to be something that being said the book itself is great for anybody that has any type of an autoimmune skin condition like eczema or psoriasis or dermatitis um even even acne uh, and then again, the autoimmune protocol um, and all the causes of leaky gut and what autoimmunity is, everything that I go into in the book will be helpful for anyone that has any type of an autoimmune condition. Yeah, the, the thing with me is that the more you look into leaky gut, the more you realize that almost everything causes leaky gut. I mean, when you really, you know, I had some, some knowledge of it before, and then when I start going back into your book, I'm like, oh, geez, I didn't even think about that perspective. You know, I'm thinking, you know, stress and, and some of the, the anti-nutrient foods. And then you go into even some of the things that I didn't even consider causing leaky gut. So it's, uh, we live in a leaky environment, Tara. Oh, I know. It's absolutely ridiculous. But what surprised me more was how many conditions are actually autoimmune that I had no idea that I had, like endometriosis. If you go to a doctor and you say, oh, I've got endometriosis, they say, oh, well, you know, here's, it's going to be a hard road for you. There's nothing we can do. Or would you like a complete hysterectomy? You know, um, and restless leg syndrome, also autoimmune, narcolepsy, all of these things that people have been treated for poorly with drugs for years and years with no success. You treat them like an autoimmune condition, which they are, and you can put them into remission. Amazing. I always thought that the restless leg was something to do with like a magnesium deficiency or something. I'm sure there are other things at play, um, but the root cause of it is autoimmune. So in order to get an autoimmune condition, you have to have three things. You have to have the genetic component, uh, which means that autoimmunity runs in your family. Um, you need to have a leaky gut, and you have to have environmental triggers or, yeah. or factors, and that's basically foods that you're eating or medications that you're taking to or things that you're exposed to in your environment. And uh, in all the research that's being done, they're finding, yeah, the drugs play a part, definitely. Things in your environment play a part, but it's what we're eating that is causing our guts to become leaky, and it's happening now at younger and younger ages to where, you know, I've got parents of eight-year-old kids um, writing me saying my daughter has this disease, HS, what do I do? And I look at the statistics, I see, well, the average age of the HS comes on is 23 years old. Well, I think in the next five to 10 years, those statistics are going to be changing uh, as people are getting sicker and sicker, younger and younger. They're coming out of the womb with leaky gut. Jeez, yeah, I mean, 
the whole thing with type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes and then now they had to take the word adult off and now it's just type 2 diabetes I mean it's really interesting to see you know we're caught up here in the middle of the whirlwind of this whole thing and uh, unfortunately I, I don't think we've passed the point of no return towards health yet I still think we got a long road to go you know especially exposing some of these things like your condition and actually giving people hope I mean on a positive light uh, that's really freaking awesome that you fix your condition I mean I read some of the the accounts of the you know the stories that you have in your book and these people are on the verge of killing themselves because their condition is just so painful embarrassing and miserable you just cut out I don't know if the mic is still going oh okay um, yeah hopefully you hopefully the uh, the recording software picked it up but I was just saying that your the personal accounts of people that you had in the book are really kind of terrifying to how miserable this condition really is so on a positive note it's really good that you were able to fix yourself and now you can have the opportunity to educate people about this because uh, that's that's really what we need is, is some hope and some you know a positive outlook on people that have these conditions or any obesity or other condition really we need to try to you know pull them out of their depression and stuff well and depression that's that's something else that's linked to leaky gut as well um, something that I found out uh, when I was writing this book is that um, the reason that antidepressants don't work very well is that they only work on your brain. And we have about 80% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. So when our gut's leaky and inflamed, we stop producing serotonin, that makes us depressed. They give us a drug that only works on our brain on the 20%. So that's why you never feel fantastic on antidepressants. They'll bring you up just enough to where you don't want to off yourself, but that's about it. So when you heal your gut, and they've even done studies with people just taking probiotics every day for four weeks, and it turns out probiotics are more effective than antidepressants at solving depression. So all of these mental issues that people are suffering from these days, I mean, I used to have severe depression, anxiety attacks, um, panic attacks, just constantly freaked out. I couldn't even drive on the freeway. It was so bad. I fixed my gut. That just all disappeared. I don't so, want to skip. I don't want to skip over that lightly. You said you couldn't drive on the highway. I could not drive on the freeway. Really, I had what I called merge anxiety. Oh. You know, and I would white knuckle it. I would actually drive if it, you know, say it was a ten minute drive on the freeway, but an hour if I took the back roads. I would drive the back roads just to avoid the freeway. Seriously, and that's interesting. It, the anxiety would start pretty much the moment I turned the car on if I knew I had to go on the freeway and I would be like literally white knuckling it like doing exactly the speed limit like freaking out and almost getting to accidents trying to merge onto the highway. I wasn't like that when I was younger. I was fearless behind the wheel and then all of a sudden when everything got really bad I couldn't drive. and. About two years ago, I'm driving down the freeway, and my kids are strapped in the back seat. I've got the music up, I'm singing, I got one hand on the steering wheel, and, and I like had a, oh my god, I'm on the freeway. Not only am I on the freeway, but I'm like enjoying myself. And I realized that that was just 
it was completely gone. That fear, that panic, the anxiety, it was just gone. That's insane. Was that linked just to diet or was that other stuff that you were doing in, you know, to try to mentally prepare yourself for it? Um, that was, I believe, a product of me fixing my leaky gut. Wow. Um, I'm almost positive that all my depression and anxiety over the years was caused by having an inflamed gut, by not having enough serotonin produced. That is not really a trip when you think about the amount of horrible drivers that are out there. <laughs> and they just need to clean up their diet and they might get it together. Absolutely. Yeah, there is hope. There absolutely is hope. That's really interesting. See, I found an article the other day that was talking about uh, it was talking about America. I know we have some international listeners, but it was talking about America going into an anger uh, an anger epidemic. And uh, you know, of course the of course the comments on that were pretty interesting. And I mean I certainly agree. I mean there's a lot of messed up stuff going on that we could be pissed about, but something that I've done in my own life is to kind of realize my circle of control and kind of really point out, okay, I can control this, I can't control that, I do have a voice here. Not to say that we should all just, you know, be super passive and just, you know, meditate on on the thought of everything and maybe that'll fix it all because that won't that won't happen either but I've, I've just had to kind of let go of some stuff and when you were talking about the highway story that kind of reminded me of what I've done myself it's just kind of letting go of these things uh, and just kind of letting letting I don't know if it's my gut or my heart or what it is but just kind of letting that steer me in the right direction rather than being so fearful of making one small mistake or or one decision that I'll regret and stuff like that. So uh, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but that's my experience. No, absolutely. I mean, until your gut starts to heal, you start to get some perspective and you can actually take a, a critical look at your actions or reactions or lack of actions. Um, you can't, you can't change things. And I find that most of these people that are some of these people that are just so sick, they're, you know, from what they're eating, how they're living, how they're sleeping, they're just so ill in every regard of their life, and they let these mental issues overwhelm them, and their problems become them, and then they just take out their rage on other people. Um, and also, at the same time, when I was, um, you know, white-knuckling it on the freeway, I was also experiencing road rage for the first time in my life. Um, I've never been an angry person, ever, but somebody would cut me off because I was driving probably like 20 miles an hour, right? Someone would cut me off, and I would just be shaking and like just the adrenaline, like I almost felt like I was going to pass out or at least have to pull over because I'd be so upset. That doesn't happen anymore. Somebody pulls out in front of me, all right, well, there you go. I guess you're going to somewhere more important than I am, so I'll just kind of hang out here in my lane and be groovy. Wow. It's a completely different outlook. Um, now it wasn't something that I consciously tried to change. It just happened. Yeah, that's that's funny you bring that up because you're the second – you're the second person, and, and uh, the other person was a woman also, and she was talking about how she ended up uh, – she, she started – now she's like a neuronutrient therapist. Her name was Leah Lund. She was on the show a while back, but she was talking about her and her husband 
how they, they kind of lived out in the, in the mountains in Colorado. And anytime they would come into the city, it was just hell. They were just freaking out. Both of them were freaking out on the road, and they would get super angry and terrified. And then she goes and gets some, some neurotransmitter testing and, uh, you know, come to find out, you know, she was lacking GABA primarily, and then she started to supplement and... Now she keeps a little stash in her glove box for whenever she feels like she's going to freak out or have a panic attack. And uh, she uses that same method on her husband, too. So it's... Uh, well, that's fantastic. I think supplementing with that stuff, um, I know some other people that have had tremendous success with it. Um, I've never used it myself. That's not saying that um, I wouldn't. I just haven't needed to. Yeah. Um, Do you still take supplements right now? I do, but they're really like vanilla, I guess you could say. They're, I take probiotics and vitamin D. Um, I take vitamin C and magnesium and zinc because zinc is really good for autoimmune conditions and inflammation. So I take zinc. And, oh, I, start, I started taking vitamin K2 even though I'm sure I don't need it because I get tons of pastured egg yolks and seafood and organ meats and all that good stuff. But I take K2 anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and that's about it. Sometimes I take a, a yeast-free B supplement, depending on my energy. Yeah. That's and, good. oh, fermented cod liver oil. Are you doing the, the liquid or the capsules for that? I'm doing the liquid. I wish I had bought the capsules, but, um, yeah. you know, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, zinc is. Yeah, that's that's not too bad. Yeah, zinc's actually helped me out too. I uh, when I went to the chiropractor a while back, I was talking to the guy. You know, I you could probably figure out that I get in long conversations with people a lot, and uh, I was talking to my chiropractor. He ended up coming on the show, but we were talking about zinc, and that was the uh, one of the best cures or treatments for depression for him throughout college and I started looking into zinc helping out people and that's one of the things I recommend now is you know zinc I mean the, the deficiencies of the magnesium and zinc you know from all the the anti-nutrients the anti that we uh, we spoke about a little bit earlier those are huge and uh, zinc should be on your list if magnesium is on your list too I think those are those are very good to just take daily I take about uh, I think I take 25 milligrams, maybe 30 milligrams of zinc. Do you know what your your form is? I take is? 90. Okay. I take 90, but it's a mega dose. Mm -hmm. um, that's what's been found to be successful in uh, or helpful in patients with HS or inflammatory skin conditions. I believe that the standard dosage is like 50. Yeah. Yeah, and but, I, do, uh, I do recommend getting, uh, if you can get like a chelate form, uh, you know, an amino acid chelate form. That's the one that I take. Actually, my local store here, they have their own store brand that has a pretty high quality version. There's some, there's some garbage zincs out there, zinc oxide and stuff like that that I don't recommend. Now, uh, that being said, all those supplements that I listed, I don't necessarily take them all every day. I've found that um, skipping a few days here and there is actually pretty beneficial. I don't think I need them all every day, especially not the vitamin D. Um, you know, if I've been out in the sunshine or if it's the middle of the summer or if I've gone tanning three or four times that week, you know, I don't need to take vitamin D every day. So um, sometimes I'll take like a double dose a couple times a week, um, and I, I like to mix it up. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, let's talk about your your new project. We got into it on the last show, but unfortunately we didn't <laughs> capture it. So uh, tell us about your your new project, which I'm very excited and I think needs to be uh, introduced into the the health community. Okay, well, I actually have two upcoming projects. Can I talk about both of them? Yeah, please do. Okay, so um, some of you may know that I have a recipe online for um, dough. It's basically just a dough recipe. It's primal and paleo, grain-free and all that good stuff. Um, and it makes a ton of of different things like pizza crust and uh, crackers and tortillas and bread and as I started experimenting with this dough I realized it could make a ton of stuff I started deep frying it I made donuts and wontons and samosas um, dropped it into boiling broth and made dumplings I'm having people from all over the world write in with different ideas and things that they've done so I've decided to publish a cookbook based on this dough so it's gonna have calzones and pizza and um, all kinds of things in there that people may have been missing. The only catch is that you have to actually cook all this stuff yourself. Yeah. So it takes a while to make one dish, so you don't have to worry about overdoing it. Um, but so I'm really excited about that cookbook coming out. But what I'm even more excited about is the next book that I'm going to write with a friend of mine um, about sex. Yeah. We're tentatively calling it Primal Urges. Yeah, and uh, what is the lens or the uh, kind of the perspective that you're going to take on the whole topic of sex? Well, um, we're going to look at sex and human sexuality through an evolutionary filter, uh, just like we like to, to run the rest of our lives. Um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to do that. Now, that's been done. There are books like uh, Sex at Dawn that are already out there. Um, but what my friend and I are planning on doing is bringing it into our into the modern age how has our sexuality these basic urges that we have um, if we repress them what happens um, how how has our sexuality manifested itself in our modern society different problems that occur you know spouses cheating on each other broken marriages uh, strange fetishes and things like that yeah I mean you know the, the top 50 websites that are out there, and I've told people this before too, but you know, like 30, I think if you go to Alexa, L-A-L-E-X-A dot com, I think that's where the rankings are for all the websites in the world. Of course, you know, Google, Facebook, and you know, news sites and all that stuff are the top ones, but right behind those, before anything else, are all the porn websites. And so yeah. it's no surprise that the repression of our sexuality has kind of came back triple fold and I think it's just because everybody's really scared you know they're scared of a boob versus uh and and other countries outside of the United States it's just 180 percent difference you know it's uh it's interesting well it's uh, I lived overseas for about 10 years and the attitude towards sex human sexuality in the human body is absolutely different um, they'd have um, the breast cancer checks, uh, you know, the commercials, and they'd actually show the woman in the shower naked, you know, t um, rubbing her breast and uh, to check for lumps. And there was nothing sexual about it. You know, um, mothers could breastfeed in restaurants. There was no, there was, it wasn't even an issue. Nobody even, you know, looked twice. 
Um, and the fact that they're in smoky bars drinking beer while they're breastfeeding, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> something completely different. But, um, yeah, it's uh, there's just a, quite a different, different view towards things. Uh, we want to get into monogamy. Um, the role that religion plays. We also want to talk about polyamory, open relationships, multiple relationships, serial monogamy, all the different options and, and things that are out there um, to maybe, you know, those things might not be right for you, but some of them you may not even be aware of. And we just kind of want to open people's eyes to the possibilities that are out there. Yeah, and the thing that you and I talked about off air was that what has helped me in my relationship to be so happy and content with everything is the fact, and, and you said it's the same for you and your husband, that you're able to, you know, check out other people and actually talk about, oh, look at that person versus the, the relationship where people get overly defensive and, and scared and fearful that you're going to go run off with the person. And just that small level of openness for me, I mean, it makes a huge difference just being able to say, hey, you know, Look at her, and that's, you know, some people might think that's wrong or immature, but I'll tell you that uh, from my experience, and I'll let you uh, vouch, you got, uh, you know, more experience than me. I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that that's actually saved me. I mean, I feel like I would go insane if I didn't have at least some form of kind of a, an open understanding with each other in the relationship where n neither of us get jealous and we're able to just simply look at other people. So uh, what's your experience? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I find that that all comes down to having a certain level of trust and intimacy, which in some relationships is just not possible. Those relationships are doomed from the beginning. You know, both parties are usually miserable. Those aren't the relationships I'm talking about. When you've been with someone, you've committed yourself to someone, you know, you've been with them for years. If you don't have a basic level of trust in them, then you can't have anything else. So um, there are ways out there to build trust and intimacy and sexual energy with your partner that a lot of people might not even be aware of. I've been experimenting with something called uh, orgasmic meditation over the last couple of months. And that is, uh, you want to talk about building intimacy and trust, the orgasmic meditation is definitely something you may want to look into. Yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I've read about it. It's pretty awesome. I haven't tried it yet. So basically the the male i guess in this case i i stay fully dressed yes and but now the female i mean i guess i mean i guess the woman could leave her shirt on but basically yes. you just you masturbate the other person and i stay fully clothed i mean is that to to keep me from getting more involved or like what's the idea behind that well, the thing is, is that it's a meditative practice. Okay. It's not sex, and it's not foreplay. So That's so funny that somebody throws the word meditation onto it, and it automatically changes everything. Well, trust me, the experience, I've never been able to meditate before. Like, you put me in a room, and like, I sit there cross-legged, and, 
and hum. Like I can't do that. Maybe for 30 seconds or so, and then I'm bored. My mind wanders, and I want to get up and go do the dishes or something. But when I have something to focus on, and in orgasmic meditation, the woman has something to concentrate on, um, everything else just drops away. Uh, the sessions are timed, they're 15 minutes long, um, and that's for a reason. Um, climax is not the goal, there is no goal at all, and uh, the pressure that you use is so light, there are, are specific strokes that you're supposed to use, and a certain type of pressure, uh, like I said, climax isn't the goal, a lot of people find it very frustrating at the beginning because they have this goal, they want to climax, but they're unable to. And so it actually brings up a lot of emotional stuff, a lot of things that you may not even have thought about or you may have repressed. Um, and it really is a practice. It's something that you have to do every day or whenever, whenever you can and you get better at it, just like yoga, but it'll never be perfect. You're always constantly practicing. Yeah, so I mean, so, so I mean, does climax usually result, or do you just try not to? I mean, you're not like trying to. There's you know, try no, to there's no trying to or trying not to. There is no goal. If it happens, it happens, but usually it doesn't, unless you do two or three ohm sessions back to back, and then it's kind of inevitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I figured it would be at some point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but, uh, as for what the man gets out of it, um, it's also meditation for him as well. And um, I've read stories and I've talked to people where um, it's like an electric current that runs up the man's hand, and he could feel it in different parts of his body. It's it's energy that is being produced and that does build. And um, it's really interesting to see how different men accept that or or. Yeah, how they feel about it. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I guess this whole practice, it's its really, I mean, I guess you could say it's both uh, for men and women, but the, the, the subject of the, you know, the meditation is always the woman. Um, well, there is uh, male owning as well, but it's a very advanced technique. And so it's usually not taught until somebody's, you know, become a certified trainer and all of that. That stuff. is... Uh, that's pretty funny. That'd be a funny certification to add to my website. Right. <laughs> awesome. So you're going to be writing this book, and I guess are you going to be covering that and, and other topics in the book? Um, yes, definitely. I'm going to be contra contrasting orgasmic meditation with BDSM, which is like the opposite side of the coin. Um, I believe that both groups of people are looking for the same thing, and they're looking for it in different you know, through different means. Uh, so it's, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, but uh, yeah, I've been doing research now for a few years on this, and I'll continue to do research with my friend over this this uh, upcoming year, and uh, we'll be starting writing sometime probably this fall. Interesting. So is it safe to say there's a lot more freaks out there than the average person assumes? Oh, honey, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. Yes. There are a lot of people, yes, especially now, you know, it's 2013. Um, a lot of people know that sex and our sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of, and people are starting to come out of the closet. And it's amazing when you, you start the dialogue, how 
people will, how quickly they'll open up and they'll admit things to you, but it usually takes one person to start it. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down with trying to help you bring that out because I think that there's a few, <laughs> there's a few other categories that I think we ignore, you know, in the community as a whole. Uh, you know, we focus so much on, you know, say diet, fitness, but we ignore other aspects, you know, like nobody really talks about our sexual nature or our past or what we're really programmed for that and you know a few other topics so uh, there's still more to cover yeah. that's the good thing it seems to be quite the taboo subject and it's ironic because we're all thinking about it and we're all doing it um, but nobody really wants to talk about it and just like with HS I was the first person to start talking about it and to basically come out and bring it out into the open same thing with uh, this book on sex I really want to to help people out, to help them, you know, foster intimacy and trust in their relationships, um, but also just to kind of put it out in the open. Let's talk about it. Let's have a dialogue. This is what makes us human. This, our sexuality is so important, and yeah, it's, I, I feel personally is just as important as the whole exercise and movement component, if not more so. It's just as important as sleep. Oh yeah, I mean definitely. I mean. And the more I research on oxytocin, you know, the, the love the love hormone and love chemical that everybody feels, that is such a powerful antioxidant. I mean, it's one of the top five antioxidants next to melatonin for the body. So it's amazing to see that, you know, people could think it's just our, our hedonistic nature or it's just our, you know, it's almost like a... Uh, what would you call it? like a luxury or a treat or something? But in reality, this is something that is not necessarily important for survival in a sense, but for your sanity, it really is one of those things that you need to know how to do and how to kind of take control of the situation because I guarantee there's a lot more sexless marriages out there than people would like to talk about, and it's a, it's a pretty big problem. Well, sex, sexless marriages, unfortunately, are just a byproduct of marriages. So, <laughs> you think so? Oh yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, is there is there a way to have is there a way to have the the middle ground in between that? I mean, is it possible to to have that monogamy and still have the the huge level of trust and intimacy and? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Everyone is different. Every relationship is different. It doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been together with your partner. Um, as long as both of your needs are being met, then of course it's absolutely possible to have a wonderful lifelong monogamous relationship and never need anyone else. Um, what I've found for myself is that that's just not, I, I just can't make that work. And no partner that I've ever been with has been able to make that work long term either so everyone is different and um yeah <laughs> yeah what's the i mean what's the what's the i guess the the easy the easy way for people you know if they're not they're not wanting to go full-blown into this i mean is there some you know i mentioned just the looking at other people being one extra level that kind of protects your your sanity and and keeps your intimacy is there something else that's kind of one of those little uh, baby steps well if you don't have the trust you can't do anything so yeah. you gotta start with that level of trust 
Um, and then it's really about starting a conversation with your partner about what it is that you want or what it is that you need. Um, if you turn to your partner of five years and say, hey, honey, I think we should have an open relationship, it's not going to go over too well. Um, there are ways, and I, I think we're going to discuss this in the book as well, um, ways to approach the situation so, to minimize the fallout. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, I mean, that's my, first, that's my first thought is that that would end in, you know, uh, a worldwide pan throwing contest or something like that in the in, in the household. So I would I would try to I don't know I just I'm trying to find a way watching that, watching pornography together. You know that that can often open up dialogues. I know a couple that was together for 20 years and they never talked about their their sexual desires or their their fetishes with each other um, and then they started watching porn this is like after they've been married for 20 years and they you know there's always that conversation well what kind of porn do you want to watch yeah. I don't know what kind of porn do you want to watch well you know I'm really kind of afraid to to go for the really hardcore one because <laughs> oh my god what's he gonna think right so what happened with this couple was that they both reached for the same the same genre and they looked at each other and went oh my god we've both had this same fetish for 20 years and never discussed it with each other so once they realized that and had they not decided to watch porn that night they may have never discovered it then they could start a dialogue about it what is it that you want what turns you on and even if you never act on something just talking about it can be a huge turn on as well, just knowing that you can open up to your partner and let them know what your your dark, deepest, darkest desires are can help build intimacy and trust as well. And like I said, can be a turn on in and of itself. Yeah, I would say the talking one. I'd probably go for that one first, and um, I wouldn't say to make a make like a super long time habit of watching porn because. Uh, there is this there there is a guy out there. I, I I'm gonna have to get him on the show eventually because it does kind of tie into like primal, you know, primal mind and stuff like that. And it's called Your Brain on Porn. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, for any of the listeners that are interested in it, you should go check it out. It goes really deep into like the neurotransmitters that get depleted and how basically the ob the object or objectifying of women that has happened throughout the culture has been kind of it kind of stemmed from from porn just by uh, looking at women more like objects I think that's the last thing that we need is more of that and uh, but it really goes into the science behind the brain and how it responds to the different stimuli and stuff I mean basically we've never had the chance to you know have unlimited amounts of, of beautiful people right in front of us and uh, it's definitely a new thing to the brain. It's just like cookies or something, just in a different format, really. It can help with someone, and I agree with you. You know, too much of it is not is definitely not good. But if you're in a happy monogamous relationship, um, you know, after after a few years, your primal mind is gonna, your eyes are gonna start to wander. You're gonna you're gonna look around. You may not act on that, but having uh, being able to watch porn for some men in monogamous relationships is their only other outlet. Yeah. And so it works for them. And if that works for you and you're happy with that, more power to you in my 
in my eyes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, Tara. Well, let's uh, let's not confuse people with the books. The first book that will be coming out is the Hidden Plague, which is a book that I highly recommend. And then we'll be looking forward to your uh, your Primal Urges book in the future after that. So when do we expect that one to come out onto the market? Um, well, I still have, we still have to write it, and so I figure we probably start writing this fall. Um, hopefully by 2015, uh, it'll be out. Well, that sounds good. The more, oh, well, it's yeah, about, it's about a year to a year and a half from the beginning of a book when you have the idea to when it's on the shelves. Okay. At least. All right. Well, yeah. I'll keep that in mind then. <laughs> okay, so the Hidden Plague is actually already available for um, to order on PrimalBlueprint.com, and if you order it before the thirtieth, you get a free ninety-day journal to help with tracking uh, your food intake and, and finding out what your triggers are. Uh, but you can order it on Amazon, and it ships on November thirtieth. Oh, okay, so that's really soon. Okay, that's really soon. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I wish you luck on the on the rest of your your book sales, and uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. All right, Evan. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Thank you. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool. Kiss a girl and I never leaves her. She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible rules. Why I'm in a tire, got to watch out, girl. Don't wanna see her by her eyes out, girl. Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting. Let me be the one that loves you better.